Okay, here we go. This is your strange and beautiful life. That was some rhythm. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. My name is Erica J. Schmidt and on my podcast I talk to people who may or may not have had the chance to transform their lives into spectacular TED Talks. And my guest today is Michelle Siba, and she is here glistening right in front of me, and <laughs> we're going to come right back. Okay, so hang tight. Uh, Michelle Siba, the very widely acclaimed author and teacher, just hold tight. Here we come. All right. Love you. Bye. Hi, everybody. It's Erica, and you are about to hear all about the remarkable book, End Times by Michelle Siba. This episode got support from End Times by Michelle Siba, and you have the opportunity to win a signed copy of this splendid short story collection. So what you need to do is follow me on Instagram at erica.j.schmidt. You can also follow me on Facebook at Erica J. Schmidt. Let's say you live in Siberia or Alaska, or just let's, even if you live in Montreal, if we have not met, perhaps don't add me as a friend. You can just follow me, okay? This is how I feel. Uh, and so, more importantly, follow me on the interwebs. Look for the video where I am flailing Michelle Siba's book, Okay, I have really curly hair. I'm wearing like this black and white floral thing I got at the thrift store. And yeah, so you, then you're going to learn all about the contest rules and how to enter. You have unlimited opportunities to enter, okay? So there's certain things you can do to get chances to win and you can do them as many times as you want. And competition is fierce. So you really want to go for it, okay? And the contest runs until October 20th, 2023. I'm so thankful to everyone who has already entered. Please keep it going. And meanwhile, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for following. This is your strange and beautiful life on all your favorite podcast platforms. And let's get back to Michelle Siba, the author of End Times. Okay. Love you. Bye. Okay, so I hope everybody is enjoying the AM radio in the background. <laughs> so today, my guest is the wise and talented writer and teacher, Michelle Siba. I got that right. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's uh, so Michelle name. is my first published author and first Harvard graduate to come onto This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. This year, 2023, Michelle released an excellent short story collection called End Times. Uh, published by Freehand Books, End Times delves into timely topics like the opioid crisis, climate change, abortion rights, and all without pushing any nauseating moral agenda. We're thankful for this. Uh, Michelle's observations are pointed and witty, and her spot-on characterization takes us into the heads of people from all walks of life. I tend to plod through short stories 
Somewhat laboriously, I prefer novels, but I devoured this book in very few sittings. I loved it. 10 out of 10 recommend. And Michelle is the perfect person to tell these stories because she grew up in an evangelical Christian environment, right? Is yeah, that the, okay, that's, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Okay. And then she moved to Montreal for university, uh, and there she ended up losing her faith. But as she says in the bio of her fabulous book, she became a zealot for literature. These days, Michelle teaches English at Montreal's Dawson College, and here she is on This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. Michelle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Erica. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, okay. glad to be here. Yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations on your book. Uh, there is a an exciting giveaway that I'm sure I will plug a million times before and after the show um, so everyone can get their hands on the book. But let's give your list, our listeners a taste of what they can expect. So from what I understand, the inspiration from this book arose partly after Donald Trump got elected in 2016. Uh, and so suddenly, like all these ideologies that for a lot of like the left woke are it's kind of wildly cringy for mm -hmm. us um are coming to light and being defended and so the president is a dick to women in my opinion uh kids are dying of opioids the planet is melting and it, it does feel like the end of the world so can you talk a little bit about the impetus for the book yeah, well, one of the reasons I began writing is uh, in the aftermath of an argument about Donald Trump with my mom, oh. who's evangelical still. Okay. And uh, that argument provoked some strong emotions in me, as mm -hmm. one might expect. Right. I mean, my political opinions are not very surprising. They're right. probably broadly aligned with your own and that of many of your listeners. Yeah. And anyway, after that argument with my mom... I was unsettled by how contemptuous I felt towards her opinions and even towards her. Right. And even though you love your mom, right? Yeah, I loved my mom. Love mom. I love my mom. And at the same time, the, the, the dominant emotion was contempt. And for me anyway, contempt, it's a limited and not very useful emotion. Right. It's just kind of like scowl and pout and yeah. stomp. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it but has I can't those really vibes. see you doing that. <laughs> You're so dignified. I, I do it. I do it in a reserved way, right. but the inside, the tumult scowl. inside yeah. is uh, part of the reason why I need to write sometimes. Anyhow, so yeah, I, I just wanted to write about someone who admires Trump, as my mom then did. And to be clear, to be fair to my mom, she's no longer a fan of Donald Trump. Okay, so good work. A couple of years, couple of years into his it administration, years, her admiration <laughs> waned. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I, I used a nugget of our argument in the story, which ultimately became about a lot more than a woman who is a fan of Donald Trump. That's not really what the story is ultimately about. That's just one. Mm -hmm. And that was the opening story, right? And yeah, times, yeah. Right? And times the story. Mm -hmm. And Wh that which won a prize. And yeah, it won. Uh, it, it was a runner up for the uh, the fiction contest uh, at the New Quarterly. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. So like a million people enter that contest. So uh, but yeah, end times for people. Why don't we set the scene? I think our next question is about that story because 
Um, so I think from in, in that story, end times, but in the worlds that you create in the different stories, it feels that like everyone is quite isolated from mm. each other. Mm. And so let's, let's end times. It's like the scene I'm thinking of, it's the family's out for an overset, an overpriced lunch, <laughs> uh, in Vancouver and like a piece of lettuce is seventeen dollars. Uh, so let's look at the characters. You've got this deeply religious mother, mm-hmm. and she's waiting for Christ to come down and save his people. I think that's what that's what, yeah, is that what people waiting are waiting for. The for? Rapture. That's what. Um, do, not yeah. everybody knows what the rapture is. So yeah, what's going to happen? Enough. Yeah, fair enough. So the idea within most evangelical circles, and more specifically, I was raised within a Pentecostal tradition. Okay. The idea is, and just as a side note, Pentecostal. Pentecostalism is, let's say, one of the more extroverted forms of evangelical Christianity where people speak in tongues oh, and yeah. believe in faith healing. You get slain in the spirit sometimes, occasionally. It doesn't happen What does often. slain in the spirit mean? It, well, it's um, it might be a, a move you're familiar with. We, in the 80s anyway, maybe into the early 90s, many a televangelist brought his hand to someone's forehead and then the person collapsed, right? And that, that's when they say you are healed and the person falls backwards? Sometimes there's you are healed. It's often you are healed. But yeah, it can. And the idea is I myself personally never got slain in the spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what's going on there. But there's some kind of ecstatic, transcendent... Did anybody Trance. ever talk to you about, like, did you ever see someone collapse beside you? Know, you know, I saw it happen during altar calls. So when the pastor would call people to the front of the church for prayer, it mm-hmm. would happen occasionally. Mm-hmm. It wasn't happening every Sunday, but yeah. especially during revivals, during sort of more intense periods like of the high God's spirits of Christianity. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is coming. If there, was, if there were like a visiting pastor from Texas or Colorado, mm-hmm. you know, you might it's get like more heightened. people being slain in the spirit. Oh, that's yeah. so But on an average Sunday morning, it didn't happen so, so much, often. but it would happen occasionally. And the idea is you're having some kind of transformative experience, even if you're not being healed from a physical ailment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, when the rapture happens, are we all going to get that? Or like- no, no, no. So when the rapture happens, Jesus returns and basically the righteous are spirited up to heaven before uh, the Antichrist comes along for during a period called the tribulation when oh. the world's going to become very corrupt, very degenerate. Some remaining Christians, including wishy-washy Christians, are going to experience intense persecution. Mm. So, yeah, um, just as a side note, I grew up believing in the 80s that we were in the end times. And yeah, the mother in this story would likewise be expecting that that Jesus is returning any day. The rapture is going to happen. You want to have your soul right with the Lord Mm -hmm. before that happens. Yeah, they would then she would she would get to go to heaven. Her and her kids would be left behind. Matthew. Yeah. Right. Because she has two kids. One of them is like severe opioid addiction. Yeah. And has overdosed. And she's like praying for him constantly. But it's mm. like damage control. And then the other woman, I thought this was clever. She had sort of like a very typical this era job she was a consultant like nobody really knows what consultants do they fly around the world probably just like tell companies to lay people off so they'll make more money i mean if you're a consultant i'm sure you're a wonderful person but sometimes it seems like a handy gig to have but also confusing like Hmm. so she has i don't know if it's an empty life but um and then they're all having lunch and it seems like awkward like nobody's really 
it's like Paul, like symbolic, like (laughs) politeness. Um, but yeah, a moment of the lunch, maybe people will enjoy. So the, there, there she is with the children eating $45 salads. So the moment she, the mother, brings up anything related to Jesus, her children behave as if she has released a powerfully dismaying fart. They hope it will dissipate soon, though they are also a tiny bit amused that it has erupted yet again. Um, so just so you know, there's not tons of farts in Michelle's <laughs> writing. She's very funny, but very, it's just, there, I think there's only one fart. I think this uh, is the only fart yeah, in the collection. So if you don't like farts, you're still going to love the rest of the book. Uh, but I just feel like this was a very accurate depiction of what happens when we hear something we don't agree with. Like mm. we'll, we'll scowl and pout or we'll just be like, oh no, please stop. Please mm. stop that. Mm. Or we'll just be like smirking and just be like oh what you're such an idiot like so childish like we don't really see the person as like a fully formed adult Hmm. um so now like 10 years later we have my question like are you are you calling for more engagement with the people we don't agree with in your book like and then like besides reading your book and maybe writing a book that might it sounds like that helped you kind of process when you don't agree with people but what what can we do to not write off people whose points of views wildly differ from our own and there's mm. so many you know with like mm. the covid season anti-vaxxing like there's just so yeah. like climate yeah. change deniers there's so there's so many ways to disagree with people these days so what should we do michelle <laughs> i have the answer i'm excited yeah okay um full disclosure i'm reluctant to prescribe any line of action here all i can say is what's been useful for me mm-hmm. which is that yeah curiosity it's something very quiet but very powerful when someone's behaving like an asshole to me <laughs> i just take a moment to wonder like what's going on with this person mm-hmm. what are they afraid of what are they worried about mm-hmm. and i have found that to be useful even just to diffuse to some extent Um, my own agitation and hostility towards them without agreeing with them Mm -hmm. in most cases. And even as I say this, I also feel like I need to acknowledge that I'm coming at this with a lot of privilege Mm -hmm. because, you know, even just thinking about my experience with the evangelical church, it was, uh, my departure was pretty quiet. But if I'd been queer, for example, it would have been a much more difficult, hostile environment for me. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's another Montreal writer, Daniel Allen Cox. Oh, yeah. He just published a memoir book, about sure. growing yeah. up Jehovah's Witness. I felt right. the end before it came. Mm-hmm. Amazing book. Mm-hmm. And he he was asked point blank whether he renounced, would renounce being gay, whatever that means. Right. Or <laughs> I changed uh, if my he mind. Didn't, <laughs> Or if he didn't do that, he'd be kicked out of the church, right? And, you know, an elder or a deacon, I don't know what the terminology, I don't remember what the terminology is exactly. You know, he was he was given a choice, mm-hmm. right? And he had no choice but to leave. So, you know, his relationship to fundamentalism is just way more fraught. Right, because some people mine was, lose yeah. their families, right? Exactly, like it's like exactly. I mean, Scientology is not Christian too, but if you speak mm-hmm. out against, I think in Jehovah's Witness, if you speak out yeah. against the church, it's over. Yeah. Mormons also, so there's a lot like uh, there's a lot at stake. So mm-hmm. not everybody can quietly slip away, I guess. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder if because I wasn't excommunicated, I wasn't expelled, I'm able to see evangelical culture 
with more curiosity than mm-hmm. pain or hurt or bitterness. Like not, it's because yeah. it wasn't like a trauma thing. I don't think we yeah. were, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, it's interesting in the past three, four years, this term religious trauma mm-hmm. is one that I've been coming across a fair bit. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have applied it to my own case at okay. first. I think there are some elements of it. I think I was also just a very anxious child in some ways. Right. So that was, you know, I used the symbols that were in my environment. And, you know, one idea was that it's the end of the world. We're in the end times in the Since 1980s. The <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so I may have some trauma there, but not in the way that someone like Daniel or yeah, someone. Mm-hmm. Martha Beck, yeah. I think, Oprah's life coach. Okay, I don't know her. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do tell. Yeah, well, she was a Mormon, hmm. and she, for one thing she did, she also went to Harvard, just like you, but she she had a child, when she was at Harvard, she was still, I think, a practicing Mormon. Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but she had a child with Down syndrome, and they were like, you are going to ruin your career. She's like, that's okay. She went back to Utah where they will accept all the children, I think, right? Jesus loves all the children. I think Jesus loves, right? He's supposed to love yeah, all the children. Yeah, I think he was yeah. supposed to. Hmm. Uh, so she took Adam back, and then she in Utah, she realized she was a lesbian, and so like the Mormons are not into that. Yeah. So... And so, yeah, she doesn't know more family, but yeah, it's just like, what can you do? Yeah. And there's like, some people have like, you know, pastors abusing, like, of course, not all pastors, right? Not all, you know, not all religious men or women are abusive, but there is like that element to it as well. So for sure. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Okay. So curiosity and maybe... distance and boundaries if you need them, right? I mean, I always say on this podcast, someone's abusive or even like they check like two boxes. Hmm. I don't think, I don't know. I I feel like tread cautiously. They don't need Hmm. to be your best friends. I feel like take as much space from abusive situations as you can. Hmm. Okay. And read, read Michelle's book if you feel guilty and confused. Um, okay. So then, yeah, I, Looking at your book, like, as a whole, like, I found it was very diplomatic in that, like, it gives equally flattering and not flattering qualities to all the characters because you you represent every, like, all sorts of people. You have fervent believers, slaps believers, and staunch atheists who are, like, they believe they are, you know, committed believers too, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like the atheists are sort of like vegans, you know, very <laughs> devoted to their cause. Are you a vegan? I'm not vegan. Okay. No. Well, I love the vegans, but you know. Likewise. They can be. There should be more vegans in the world. Yeah. I wish I were vegan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> vegan with bacon. Um, and yeah, I'm a terrible, I used to be vegan. Anyways, we have vegan friends. We have, I've had vegan life coaches in my life. But yeah, your characters are very rich in their humanity and flaws. But also in their variety, because we've got the family you talked about in your opening story, then like you move on to I think the Manitoulin Islands, where there's like Mm. an RV couple, Sonia, who's like really pious, and then Ivan, who's not so pious, but he's pretending, which is very funny. And they're like living the RV dream, which is quite contemporary. Um, Then you've got another interesting story was there was Santi, is that his name? Yeah. Um, And his mother takes him to a pastor to try and exercise his ADHD. And so that scene is very rich in different characters. Uh, Then you've got an atheist doctor. Is this your favorite? I think Ben, the doctor. 
It's hard to it's hard to pick one. I did enjoy writing that story. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. So for people who haven't read it, we won't spoil it, but there's this doctor and he like his boyfriend goes to the church. Yeah. yeah. His his doc his sorry, his uh his boyfriend is evangelical and, and goes to this kind of hip mega church on the model of Hillsong, if that means anything and to the, listeners. Yeah. And then they're like the the character Ben is like just really committed to like taking like he's like oh this pastor is a fraud and he just feels like it's really a good use of his resources to take Mm. this guy down Mm. which is funny I think we've all gotten obsessed with uh, Hmm. people that we think yeah or with in a way being right yeah that was that was kind of a topic that emerged as I was writing this story is how hard it is not to feel right or you know want to be right whatever your belief system right right? so invested in other people's choices right Mm. and like why it's like why does it matter like it's like if somebody wants to date that person if somebody wants to like spend their time going to Scientology meetings well I mean if it's your mother I don't know but right Mm. like it's like it's not your life it's not your Mm. strange Mm -hmm. and beautiful life and but Maybe you can sort of take us through, because I know we have some writers out there, like how do you create such in-depth characters, and particularly they're so different from you. So like Hmm. maybe you can tell us a little bit about your process. Oh, yeah. It's funny. It feels feels like it comes from a place of curiosity about what it's like to be another person. It feels like a form of acting, Mm -hmm. except I'm just writing instead of, you know, having to use my voice and body Uh to do it. And I don't know where, I just find people fascinating. Right. And especially people who aren't like me. Thank God. Like, I'm just, I'm so glad the world is filled with so many different kinds of people. And (laughs) it just, it, yeah, it just makes life way more interesting. And I'm often kind of intrigued by people I don't readily like. Okay. And I wonder, oh, like, what's up with this person? They don't, instead of being irritated, you're like, like, how did you I'm learn irritated, to... okay. but then, yeah, then I want to do something more than be irritated. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's one uh-huh. way of thinking about it. Yeah. I don't know if that I have any big um, disclosure to make about my process, but I have wondered, yeah, why, why do I write about characters who are quite different from me? Although you could argue the character, the protagonist in the last novella, Beth, mm-hmm. has some similarities with me, grad school. PhD in the humanities, um, although I never went on to be a consultant, thank God, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But, but she's responsible. Like, you're responsible, it seems like. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm pretty conscientious person. I'm a yeah. role follower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've wondered if one reason I'm so interested in people who aren't like me is that both my parents are immigrants from different Mm -hmm. countries. And so, yeah, there's always the generation gap with parents and children, but I grew up with this sense that my parents had led radically different lives as children than I was living in Mm -hmm. 1980s suburban Toronto. Right. And, you know, because both my parents were small during World War II and my mom was in the Czech Republic and my dad was in Italy and... Mm. And yeah, and then my mom was growing up under communism. It these were such utterly different lives, and I liked, especially with my mom, who was pretty forthcoming. I would just ask her to tell me about you know mm-hmm. what it was like being you know being a kid in the fifties, right? Yeah. And like yeah. so, then you had practice getting to know people you didn't know that well through your parents, like or yeah. that were radically different from you, and then you just sort of repeated it with 
people are your characters based on real people ever like do you take dialogue mm. that like you hear or use your own dialogue I like to use my own jokes myself <laughs> I yeah so I used a nugget of a conversation with my mom for the story end times I I know someone who's super rational and I'm as I don't consider myself particularly rational <laughs> so I'm fascinated by people who live according to rationality and consistency they feel sort of alien to me. And right. so Ben, the doctor in the story we were just talking about, right. is very much in that vein. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in terms of other people, there was a couple at our church. And I noticed this pattern with more than one couple where it seemed like the woman was much more enthusiastic about mm-hmm. Jesus than the man. And I wondered, like, is this just gendered behavior where the dude is more reserved slash dignified, whatever that means. <laughs> He's not, what is right. it called? You get slapped by the hand of, with the spirit? Slain in the spirit? Slain in the spirit. Slain in the spirit. Slapped, no. <laughs> slapped, slain, yeah, it's about the same. <laughs> Whack. It's like the Jesus brawl. Spanked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I, I found myself wondering about a couple if the guy was as emotionally invested right. in this faith. Or just it. yeah, just going along with it because it's something you do every Sunday. You pray before you eat, you read the Bible daily together. Um like, so that that was the kernel then of the the R V story. Happy wife, happy life. I don't think we can <laughs> say that anymore, but sometimes you, can say you do it. hear still it. Say it. happy wife, happy life. It's terrible. <laughs> Uh, okay, so some nuggets, but then like, do you, I don't know, then you just write them down in a notebook? Like, do you, do you start with like sketches? Do you? Um... I do have a notebook in which I write by hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's often the starting point. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, you know, usually if I'm, sometimes I'm walking and a possibility comes to me and I'll just jot it down in my mm-hmm. notebook. And so, yeah, I have this notebook with just a bunch of sort of messy, fragmentary notes. Often dialogue Mm -hmm. helps me start to imagine a person, Mm -hmm. right? The way they talk. Sometimes an image, but more often a dialogue. Okay. Yeah, because when I started writing creatively, it really was because people interested me. I still hadn't figured out plot, which took me such a long time to figure out. And I have not definitively figured out, to be clear. Just emotions, my emotions particularly. <laughs> I feel sad by Erica. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we'll probably talk a little bit more about your creative routine later. Um, but that was that was great. Thank you. And then on an interview with the beloved Nisha Coleman. Hi, Nisha. I know you're loving every minute of this, and we love you too. Um, you talk about growing up in an evangelical uh, setting, like an evangelical environment. And you mentioned the the rigor required to really read the Bible closely, which it's very clear you did when you read End Times, because it's just filled with like the perfect, like the perfect quotes, the perfect, uh, the perfect uh, segment for each story, like for the context. It's it's a real a major strength of the book. Brilliant! It's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, and it also it also takes like discipline to show up at church every Sunday, maintain a set of like sometimes rather austere practices and beliefs, 
and what I'm wondering is, has the intensity of, maybe I'm using the wrong word here, fundamentalism or like, no, it's okay? Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, mm. ha- has the intensity of like fundamentalism transferred into other elements of your life? For example, health and wellness. We <laughs> talked about the last time we hung out. Um, I know that we're both yoga people. I'm sure that I was more extreme than you, even though I did not grow up in an evangelical setting. Um, but yeah, let, tell me about the fiery zeal in Michelle Siba's life. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do think that the discipline I grew up with was helpful for becoming committed to a writing practice, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, although truthfully, right now I'm in an in-between period where I'm not writing a lot. I'm mm-hmm. just reading a lot. I need to read daily. Yeah, But I there is something that I enjoy about having a discipline about if not doing something well, then trying to do something well, whether it's writing fiction or doing hot yoga. Okay. And um, I I appreciate parameters, constraints. Structure. Structure. Right. And of course, one can to some extent, especially in the case of creative writing, improvise within those, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But yeah, there's that, there's the, the kind of the pleasure of that you know, the pleasure of, of a discipline of trying to do something well. And yeah, it's fair to say that whatever faith I had in Jesus got displaced onto literature, mm-hmm. literary fiction, poetry, it, which just felt like a more spacious place than the church I grew up in. Right. Right. So it was very much, it's not just about discipline, it's also about the kinds of freedoms that literature allows like the evangelical culture I grew in up in was very allergic to sadness, right? right? Sadness or anger or negative emotions were things that needed to be fixed by Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas I feel like literature is capacious enough and it just has so many layers that it, it has room to make space for sadness as well as, mm-hmm. yeah, as well as the happy stuff. Yeah. Right. And amazement and confusion. Right. What is it? It's gospel of prosperity. Is there also like a happy gospel? Like it's sort of like there is, I don't know about Pentecostal, but there is this idea and this is sort of transferring into like, it's like the Instagram life coaches have kind Mm -hmm. of gotten the memo Mm -hmm. that like you, if you're suffering, like you need for the Jesus people, you need to pray harder, right? You Mm -hmm. need to trust and surrender more. And like maybe the manifesty people on Instagram are like, if Mm. you're suffering, well, I mean, Mm. your world is a reflection of your Mm. inner self. So (laughs) your fault, right? So I feel like there's just more nuance in literature, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And in that way, it's, it's kind of more fearless. Yeah. Right. There is something Mm -hmm. very like fearful and aversive about any cult that makes happiness the norm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Happiness is not quite the norm from what I can tell. Uh, But I wish everybody happiness all the time, right? Peace, love, and happiness. I remember I went to church a lot as uh, I tried to be, so I worked at a camp for people with disabilities and there was this really cute guy there named Caleb Mm -hmm. and it had used, like the camp had been a Christian camp and they sort of played lip service to this. They still had like Bible study and prayers, but the camp directors were more, you know, spiritual, which I think is fine. But the mm. uh, evangelical Christians were like, that's, it's not enough to be spiritual, yeah, right? You yeah. have to be more concrete. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so Caleb, he was really devout. He had a big like prayer 
he had a prayer list. There was like a a piece of cardboard where he wrote down all the people he prayed for. And I was like, holy shit. Very organized. Yeah, he wasn't really organized otherwise, (laughs) I would say. Uh, But I really, like, I had a huge crush on Caleb. And I was like, well, maybe, like, if I'm more into Jesus, it will help my cause. I was not old enough to How old were you? I think I was 15 and Caleb was like 17 or 18. And Mm. like I was, you know, I'm a young... That's mature. When you're 15, that 17-year-old dude is... Like, and I was a young 37 year... uh, No, I am a young 37, but I was Mm. a very young 15. Mm -hmm. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, hi, everybody. So (laughs) I didn't, like the Jesus thing didn't really help my cause. I never felt like you with the, like getting slain by the hand of the spirit. Like I always felt like, You know, it just felt like there was such relief in people who had surrendered to Jesus and like Mm -hmm, accepted mm -hmm. him into their hearts. But I never felt like I could, I never had that. I was like, I would go for these jogs and be like, I wrote letters to Jesus and I was like, I looked for you and I didn't see you. (laughs) I kept Mm -hmm, looking. mm -hmm. But all this to say, I I studied religious studies at McGill. Mm -hmm. Again, didn't find Jesus. So then I went to work at Lash for people with disabilities Mm -hmm. and it was founded by a Catholic guy, Jean Vanier, who has since been Me too But we went to church twice a week for like wow. two years. That's commitment. Yeah. Um, the reason I brought up this story is that I remember that there was like a point. It was like Catholic church is, it's not that long, but it's pretty boring. Like it's mm-hmm. pretty slow. And mm-hmm. um, that then there was like communion, which I wasn't allowed to have. And the, 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 the priest gave me a cross and said, may Jesus love you and keep you beautiful or something like this. But then after communion was all over, it took years, right? We had people with wheelchairs, like mm-hmm. everybody. Then they would say, peace be with you. Like, do, do Pentecostals do that? No, they shake no, no, hands no. and they're, wish they're, everybody a, peace? They're aversive to anything Catholic. Okay. So the Catholics, right. according to the Pentecostals, the Catholics are going to hell, right? Oh, no. So Catholicism is too driven by ritual. They're not going to float away? No, no. The Catholics aren't going to go up uh, with Jesus in the rapture. Oh, Mm-mm. no. Yeah, you have to be a certain certain flavor of Christian for, uh, you have to be within the, I guess the broad umbrella term would be born again. Right. Okay. Which isn't to say, obviously Catholics have conversion experiences too. Mm-hmm. And there are some, I, I believe there, they would be called charismatic Catholics. So okay. there are, but I think they're a pretty small constituency, mm-hmm. the, the born again Catholics. Okay. The idea certainly within Pentecostalism and more broadly with even within evangelical culture is that you need to have a kind of personal relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. um, that's inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? There's, there's a lot of, you know, you need to feel the feels. Okay. Whereas within Catholicism, you have the idea of the cultural Catholic, for example, okay. right? The cultural Catholic isn't really feeling the feels. No, they're kind of mm. like showing up and... Yeah, they're going through the motions. and the and they're they, supposed to do. It's perhaps part of their heritage. They value community, right? But these are all quite secular reasons to, oh my goodness. <laughs> to go to church in the, in the Pentecostal worldview. But yeah, that's so interesting that that was still prescribed. Do you know if... If uh, people still need to go to church twice. twice. Well, the reason we went twice was that we had a, like, uh, the community, the large community had their services and community nights where we would, like, go Hmm. and eat pasta. Hmm. And then the other, then we would go into, like, our neighborhood church. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I think some people go to mass every day and like the the people that I worked with were very devout and, and like, 
uh, Natsadi, who I hope will come on the podcast someday, but she was always like, oh, we get up every morning, pray, do the rosary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I mean, it was hard to keep up with. We were very busy at Larsh. There was a Mm -hmm, lot to do. mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. yeah, we had a prayer time after every dinner we were supposed to. And then they all prayed. I mean, I had a nice time with the Catholics. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I... I, I was happy to not have to go to church anymore, but I always thought it was very nice that nuns were praying for the commu- the large community. Mm-hmm. Like we were, I kind of liked being on a prayer list. If people mm-hmm. want to pray for me, I'm mm. pleased for that, you know? Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. I know that my mom prays for me. Mm-hmm. She would be thrilled if I returned to the church. I'm okay with her praying for me. Yeah. It's like yeah. warm and fuzzies, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't give me, but again, we don't have, a, I don't really have spiritual trauma maybe from yoga I have a bit of spiritual mm-hmm. trauma but in terms of like the Christian I just I tried it didn't work out you know yeah yeah and in some ways my experience is analogous to yours mm-hmm. except I just tried for a really long time and finally when I left Toronto mm-hmm. came to Montreal for my undergrad I realized I had to fess up to the fact that I wasn't feeling the feels mm-hmm. and um that I was more interested in other things. There's so many things to do on Sunday mornings in Montreal <laughs> that do not involve church, right? Yeah. Like, especially depending what you did on Saturday night. Like, mm. it's like not always like university yeah. student. And truthfully, I think I had a pretty tame freshman year. Right. But even just going for a walk on Sunday morning when yeah. I was supposed to be sitting inside a church felt exhilarating and luxurious. And and- like brunch yeah bagels like (laughs) anything or even just reading your books in a coffee shop right Mm -hmm. like just Mm -hmm. it's a treat okay that's great so we touched a little bit on your uh writing discipline usually we do routines at the end but we'll just because you were talking about like the bible and like your um your rigor for studying the Bible and going to church and stuff, uh, allowing you to have a writing discipline. So what does that look like? You said you were reading now, but like... Yeah. Well, when I was writing the book, um, and to some extent, I'm continuing this now as much as possible, this all happens in the morning. So I... But it's, it's interesting. It's a discipline, but it's also... I realized I need to kind of package it with pleasure. So mm-hmm. I always have like something sweet with a coffee yeah. and I start by reading, uh-huh. which I love, which just yeah. feels easy a and treat. Yeah. something like something I need to do every day mm-hmm. to stay sane. Yeah. So I, I read for about half an hour and then I slip into writing. Okay. And it feels, so I'm already absorbed in someone's fictional imaginative world and then I just slip into my own I usually have my notebook open beside me so I'll have Mm -hmm. a couple of nuggets to work with that I transcribe and then build on Mm -hmm. on my laptop when I'm yeah when I'm writing okay and do you have like timers and stuff or this all sort of goes organically I don't write I don't write for a long time it's maybe 90 minutes okay up to two with Sometimes. the reading and the writing, I'm sorry, I'm dorky. Uh, the, with the, the reading, the reading and the writing together, it's a couple hours. It's between two and three hours okay. when I can swing it. So, it you know, when I was working on the book, it was maybe four mornings a week, mm-hmm. four or five mornings a week. That's, That's what lots, I was aiming yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I tried as much as possible to teach in the evening. Okay, which was hugely helpful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. To keep the mornings clear. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That's pretty inspirational. Like two to three hours a day. That's that's also sitting on a couch, right? Oh, I just okay. wanted to, 
I wanted my creative practice to be different from what I did when I was writing a dissertation, which was, if anything, too disciplined. And I burned myself out a bit by the end of it, where I was always at a desk. I was really pushing myself to write for longer stretches of time. So I realized if I wanted to write creatively over the long term, it would need to be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, what do I do to make this feel as enjoyable as possible because yeah ultimately once you do have a routine or a habit it's something you you need to do Mm -hmm. Uh, okay and then but then you'll give yourself months to not read yeah I that's the thing right now I'm not I don't have an active project that I'm focusing on I'm very much in a sort of scouting mode so I'm just I'm reading some writers I've not read before Mm -hmm. uh works I've wanted to read that I hadn't gotten around to till recently. So yeah, I'm just kind of connecting with the pleasure of reading because that's a big part of the reason I, I began to write is that I loved reading so much. And at a certain point, I, I felt like reading wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, so I'm, I'm, I'm not recommending this to anyone else. I just have a gut feeling that this is what works for me, which is that I keep reading until I feel some kind of internal pressure mm-hmm. to write, you know, writing this book felt like something I needed to do. Yeah. It felt urgent to me. Necessary. It felt necessary to me. So I'm I'm looking for that feeling. Okay. Even though I've heard many a writer who's, you know, to be clear, I'm not prolific, many a much more pro- prolific writer say, just write every day. Just right. write every day. Just write every Have day. A topic or yeah. Yeah. Free write. Prompts. Ugh. And I see the value of that, but I'm just giving my pers- per- myself permission since, you know, this book has been out, well, it's been out for a few months now, um, just to enjoy reading. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm the queen of taking months, (laughs) years off. But, but did you, so you started, like you didn't write stories as a kid. This was more after you got really into literature that you began writing. So I was writing stories in high school. Mm -hmm. I got into literary fiction in, in high school and I was, yeah, I was writing Beautiful stories. Uh, Yes, for sure. sure. Exquisite. Yes, of course, I wrote a story that I sent to the New Yorker. Yes, I did that when I I was 17. (laughs) We're still waiting for them to dig that out of the slush pile. I'm going to tag them on Instagram. Uh, And then when I got to university, in addition to losing my faith, I realized how vast the canon of Anglophone literature was and that I knew squat. Despite my extensive reading, I did, I know in high school, I got into Alice Munro, I got into Carson McCullers, I was reading a lot of biographies for some reason, Uh I was a fan of W.H. Auden. Anyway, but yeah, I got to university and realized... I knew nothing about literature. And so I just wanted to read, 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 read as much as I could. Yeah. And that's what you get to do in university. Yeah. And then also as the kid of immigrants, there was no way I was going to kind of declare a vocation as a writer at 21 mm-hmm. and pursue it. So it just made sense to do a PhD, which would keep me in contact with literature, but also afford me a salary. Practical. Yeah. So yeah. I was, I stopped writing creatively all through my 20s. Mm. But by my by the end of my 20s, I was feeling this sort of internal agitation, also realizing yeah. I didn't want to produce specialized academic research. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't have the brain of a specialist. Some people enjoy it. it. Yeah. But I, I harbored the belief that everyone in a PhD program in literature 
secretly really wants to write creatively. In fact, right. there are people who much prefer writing academically about literature, yeah. but I just, I just couldn't fathom that such people exist because of what I wanted to do. So yeah, finally I realized academia wasn't for me. And I gave myself, yeah, in my 30s. I was writing my juvenilia in my 30s, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> you know, I took, my, I took my first creative writing course in my mid-30s. Oh. It's kind of insane to think about. And that was the moment at which I realized, wow, I have so much to learn. Mm, yeah. yeah. But you've made good progress because you're not very old. Uh, I don't I'm, actually I'm remember old how old you are. I'm 47. Okay. I don't remember. I thought <laughs> you were 42 or 3. 10 years though. Yeah. That's that's promising. I think people, we can, <laughs> you can become like Michelle Siba in 10 years. I mean, she had some other things in place too, but... Oh, that's great. I love I love that. But you also have a you have a writer's group, right? Which yeah. these are elusive. How do people get writers mm. groups? Um, but it I know some of the writers in your group, for example, Nisha Coleman, uh, mm. and she's excellent. And so yeah, how did you get to have a writer's group? Yeah, it happened largely thanks to our member Leslie. But the way it happened is that I took a few other workshops. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the end I took half a dozen workshops. And in one of those workshops, uh, Leslie was there and we liked each other's work. Mm-hmm. So we connected because of that workshop and Leslie knew Nisha. And then, yeah, our other member, Nathaniel, we met through, in fact, the guy who taught that workshop. Right. So it was, it was, yeah, workshops. I think, I think it's a good idea to go to workshops, yeah. go to a few workshops, see what you can learn there. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not edified by everything in there, I still found them useful broadly. Yeah. You know, I find even feedback that I didn't agree with, it it got me thinking like, oh, this was like this person, this other person had like a completely different ex- experience yeah. of mm-hmm. what I wrote than I could have ever imagined. And mm-hmm. that's that's helpful. That can be helpful to hear. Anyway, um, yeah, I think I think that's one way to meet. Yeah, people. like because I don't know. Sometimes you're like, oh, I don't want to go Wednesdays from like seven till ten or whatever, mm-hmm. and like, right? And and especially if you've been writing a while, like not everything is going to be super useful at the workshop. Sure. But it's more about, I guess, the networking and and meeting people. And sometimes workshops are excellent too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I guess don't get hung up on like, well, I don't really want to learn. I don't want to refine my like description of purple like you know if it's the the Mm. focus isn't exactly what you want like just find something that even if it's like 70% what you might like oh yeah 70% is good pretty good 65 (laughs) yeah just like something to do yeah um okay so that's great I think we are we have a listener question today uh that I thought Michelle would really nail but no pressure okay so dear erica and michelle i live in a different city than my very conservative parents and i have been dating a guy seriously for 2.5 years my parents don't know i am gay but my boyfriend just asked me to marry him and i said yes hooray should i just not invite them to the wedding and keep things the way they are or tell my parents, knowing that they will no longer speak to me. Love, Norman. Norman, what that's do you think, Michelle? It's an awful predicament. Right? Yeah. That's terrible. I'm yeah. sorry, Norman. I'm glad you're getting married. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that Congratulations. is... Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, love is good news, usually. But yeah, that is... It's almost the worst, right? And again, mm-hmm. it's like one of the situations where like the diff- contrasting to ours where it's like okay Jesus not for me but this guy yeah it's like 
you know, he is at risk of being estranged from his family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Start. Like- yeah. Um, one thought that comes to mind is I wonder what is the least awful. It's an awful situation. So what might be the least awful outcome for mm-hmm. him? Is he okay with continuing to kind of compartmentalize his life in this way where there's a massive part of himself that's just unknown to his parents? Right. And much as I think people of my, let's say, political ideological persuasion would be inclined to say, like, that's how can you do that? That's inauthentic. You know, your parents should know who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, I suspect more people than I know. Um, And I know some people do compartmentalize sort of major aspects of their lives that they Mm -hmm. just keep private from their parents. Now, if that's hugely stressful for Norman, especially in the case of marriage, like how do you keep a marriage secret? That's a pretty big secret. Yeah. So listen, I don't have any answers. I feel like I'd I'd rather write a story about this situation than offer a solution. (laughs) I mean, but fully authentic living, like this is, this is sort of have, this is, the stuff of Instagram that's sort of mm. that's held as an ideal with the life coaches and with me too. I really like for me, it hurts. Like I have the saying, it's just like, I feel like people sort of die inside when mm-hmm. they're not their mm-hmm. true selves. Mm-hmm. And yet you can't always be your true self with everybody. So I always feel like, well, those people you should avoid, but mm. it's not so simple when it's your parents. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. This is, I think it's a bit impossible to lie about it completely. Mm. Like, mm. don't you think? But then sure. how long is, like, how far away is the wedding? Is there a way to go about this gently? Because if this, they don't even know you're gay and then you're like, hi, I'm gay, I'm going, mar- I'm getting married. Mm-hmm. I just like, even parents who are on the more reasonable level, mm. it could still be shocking for mm. them. Mm. Like, it, it, so I'm just, I'm worried about their reaction. Like, yeah, listen, I don't have an answer. I do have two further thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. First off, what does, uh, what does his fiance think? Is mm-hmm. his fiance okay with being a secret, right? Yeah, so what the, what the, what the fiance feels could help him decide what he's going to do in relation to his parents, right? Mm-hmm. That's a major element that needs to be accounted for. And also... Listen, I don't know this guy. Sometimes parents uh, or sometimes people, we, I guess I wonder how, how well does he know what exactly his parents will do? Like, will they for sure freak out? They might freak they're, out they're at de- the It sounds like they're definitely going to freak out. Yeah. But um, is it possible that after a period of estrangement, they'll realize how fucked up it is to be mm-hmm. estranged from your son because he's gay mm-hmm. and presumably they love him? And presumably they will miss him. I mean, we just don't know kind of what brand of mm-hmm. evangelical or fundamentalist they are. Yeah. So there are a lot of there are a lot of variables that I think need to be accounted for here. And like I said, I'm so loath to give advice, but certainly you know the fiance's input is important yeah. here and can perhaps help Norman make a decision about about what to do. Yeah, I think that Dan Savage, I think that he, is this true? He has a lot of the sex advice columnist, you know, Mm -hmm. this guy. Yeah. Yeah, So I, did he say that, because he has different timelines, like breakups, you're allowed to wallow for like a month, which I Mm -hmm. think is very 
Not That's stingy. Stingy. Not enough time. <laughs> uh, but I think he says that you should give your parents a year to adjust to the news. I mean, and they can't be bigoted. They can't be like assholes about it. But like give them, and maybe I'm quoting you wrong, Dan Savage. If so, I'm so, I'm so sorry. But like give them a year to not always say the right thing. Like mm. they, that does not, that does mm. not uh, condone cruelty or anything like that. But like a year of adjustment is maybe... Mm ideal. So I don't know when you're getting married, but also to be firm, if you do tell them, like, it's like, this is my life choice. I don't want to discuss it every time I'm hang sure. out with you. Yeah. Like you could maybe give them the choice. We can either not discuss it or I won't come to visit you, right? Like they could either embrace it, not discuss it. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. I think if they're going to come to your wedding, I think that their cooperation oh, with the sure. union and for support sure. is mm -hmm. essential. So I don't know, Michelle, I would tell them like, that's mm. me. I'm not a great, mm -hmm. I can be an okay. What, who am I kidding? I'm not a great secret keeper. <laughs> like that's not my thing. If it's something like that on the inside, like just eating at you, mm. I think it would be too painful to keep the secret long-term myself. Mm. Mm. So I think that just got to set up the parameters for their positive reception, which may take a year. Mm -hmm. And, and it may be, but I think, like, I feel like some kind of relationship could be possible, but you just don't know what kind, whether it will be the compartmentalized kind or like a loving relationship until mm -hmm. you tell them. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah even like ev if you're if you're lying and they're like, they're still rejecting you, even if they don't tell you. Right. So may as well let them like mm. give them all the information mm -hmm. that you like you're either going to compartmentalize in a lie or in the truth so i feel like it's more comfortable mm -hmm. in the truth maybe that makes sense yeah. yeah yeah norman you're not in our prayers but you're in our <laughs> hearts <laughs> That was good. Are you good with yeah. that? Okay, yeah. cool. This is Michelle is an efficient guest. She's very concise. Wonderful. So we have done your writing routine, reading, writing. So then when you're not writing, like your morning routine is reading basically. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Do you like, I know you do um, hot yoga, but like, mm. do you exercise in the morning? Like what, what else happens in the morning? Mm. Anything? I do. These days I've been meditating. Wow. I know you're ambivalent about okay. meditation. Yeah. I have found, I found it useful just to even notice that I have a body, okay. you know, cause I, I go through, like, I think all of us, we go through our days kind of not really. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to generalize that condition. Um, there are plenty of people who, for various reasons, are more aware of their bodies than I am. You're but, you know, I just... Active, I, engaged Yeah, mind. yeah. So it's helpful for me to sit still and notice, like, oh, yeah. Do you have a technique? How many minutes? What? Did you balance uh, a book on your head? These... <laughs> these days, it's 15 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Solid. Yeah. And I'm, yeah, I'm doing, it's, it's, uh, there's some riffing on what I learned at a Vipassana retreat oh. where I do a body scan. Mm -hmm. I notice my breath. Um, yeah, that's mostly. And then there's a loving kindness. Oh yeah. That uh, was nice at the end. Segment. So at the end, yeah. if you guys haven't heard a Vipassana meditation retreat is 10 days, but it's a misnomer because it actually starts on day zero and ends on day 12, 11. 
right? Oh, yeah. I thought it was basically nine and a half days of silence. Yeah. And then, yeah, half a day of chatting. And then you go home the next day. Mm. But these are austere, right? Like, did you go in Quebec? Yeah, I went to the the Montebello Yeah, that's retreat. where I went. And you yeah. made it through? I was... Yeah. Wow. And <laughs> did you write a story about it? I want to hear no, about... No, I have not written a story about it. I crashed and burned at Vipassana. Oh, my God. Well, I so did what it. was your experience like? Well, the Can first time it was okay, that? but I cried mm. a lot and I was very yeah. hungry. Okay, um, yeah, So sure. because the way it works is... I you don't get to have dinner. Oh, you get like fruit for dinner or something. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. They they made an exception for me because I'd had oh, an eating disorder. Okay. So I tried without dinner a few times and it went very poorly. I was like swearing. I'm sure other people were too, but I was swearing at Goenka is the founder of mm-hmm. the dead founder of Vipassana. Mm-hmm. And he sings for you in the morning while you're meditating at four in the morning or like at towards the end of it. Mm. You didn't sing for you? I don't remember you? that. I don't remember going Did you meditate I just in your re- room? I just remember, yeah, we were in our rooms. Oh, if you go to the cubbies. hall, you get, you get skin. You, they We'd, sing to uh, you. Okay, we, I stayed, I always stayed in my room. Oh, That's okay. That's the reason. Okay. okay. You were, okay, so you were a zealot, Erica. Went, you actually went to the meditation at room four, at 4.30. At 30 in the morning, and I <laughs> wanted to just throw, like, pillows at Goenka. So, yeah, I was hungry, and I was like anxious. I, yeah, sure. cried a lot. So it was a stretch for me to do the 10 days, but I did do it. Okay. Um, how did you feel afterwards? I found it useful. I mean, afterwards, it, it's more what I noticed during, uh-huh. right? I just was able to notice all the points of tension in my body, patterns of thinking that weren't helpful, um. just how neurotic I am. Right. Because you're so like any form of so many of the usual stimuli are just stripped away. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can finally just notice your own consciousness. I definitely what it's noticed like. how neurotic <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah. And the food the you know, the breakfast and, and lunch were great, but the food was it good. was an adjustment mm-hmm. in the evenings with the snacks. Is even one thing I noticed about the fruit they served was that it was really unappetizing fruit it was like cafeteria grade oranges apples oh, yeah, and bananas like right apples, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was to... like, I was like is this part of is this part of the ethos of the place that we're just presented with really unappealing cafeteria grade fruit you gotta mix <laughs> the soy milk and the molasses some people were there was like all these ways to pretend you were having people dinner people were improvising yeah i saw a lot of um you know chunks of banana in in uh, soy milk or almond milk, uh, yeah. people trying to convince themselves that they were having well, the other some problem kind of is it's, it's like lunch is at eleven and then mm. and then dinner's at five mm. and then you're just mm. like I don't know about you I am not a happy intermittent faster no <laughs> no neither am I I have blood sugar issues yeah, right. and in fact I did I smuggled some nuts okay. into the pasta yeah. and so when people were you know having their banana stew I uh, yeah I, yeah they said so they, you were at least more transparent about it than I was I think at least that you if you have blood sugar issues they Mm. would make an exception for you too yeah I do I mean I recently I sometimes I overshare too much on the podcast you know what I mean I should not talk so much but um I recently was having like I just had a sort of a I've been a bit down lately let's say Mm -hmm. right and I was having like very dark like despair brain fog like just like very Mm. 
not healthy thoughts. Hmm. And it was very continuous over like several, like, I don't want to say months, but it's been on and off for the last few months. But like the Mm. last like August was just very miserable. And I'm just like, oh my God, what's the point of anything? There's no, and just very dark. And then Hmm. I was thinking at my morning routine, which is very active. Like I write in my journal for like 45 minutes or an hour. And then I go for a walk and then Mm -hmm. I might come home and do exercise. And I was getting to the point I couldn't make it through the park. And I was like, am I hungry? (laughs) I was like, like I had some nuts or something before. And so all I did, friends, is I switched my breakfast, which I was having at 10 or 1030. Oh, yeah, that's late. It's too late. I started Mm -hmm. having breakfast at 730. And like, guess what? This results in fewer suicidal thoughts than like the intermittent. Mm. I didn't mean I wasn't trying to intermittent fast or anything, but I just was like, you know, I used to like to eat at 10 or 1030 because I was working and then Mm. like it would make working less boring because I'd have Mm. something to do and eat. So anyways, yeah, Vipassana, the food was an issue and the crying was an issue, but it sounds like you did get something out of, like you were able to detach yourself from your neurosis. Whereas like, I, or at least just observe it. Yeah. It was always, you know, knocking around inside me. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, just to, just to watch it. And then, because then they prescribe that you meditate two hours a day, mm. an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. Like this is enough to discourage anybody. Nobody can do that. I believe our friend Jeff does this. Jeff Gandell. Yeah. Jeff Gandell, you meditate two hours a day. He has a toddler. That's I think impossible. he was doing this at least before, before the toddler, oh, before the baby. Did he I don't go know if he's to still. Vipassana? I didn't I'm not know sure. That. I'm oh, not sure. I, I know. Okay. But yeah, he does Deepak Chopra, I think. Oh, yeah? I don't, I don't think know. that I should say. You should I, have Jeff I can't on, confirm on the that. podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I actually have a box of books for Jeff's child. Um, Jeff, come on the podcast. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's next level, two hours mm. a day. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. okay, so. But yeah, I did, after the retreat, I did begin a more regular meditation practice. Mm-hmm of even you know even 20 minutes even 15 yeah. minutes a day is something less, 15, yeah it's something yeah i can do 11 minutes and 11 seconds and i usually look at the timer when there's a minute left but sometimes i make it yes <laughs> so before i started a podcast i used to publish random essays on my blog ericajsmith.com slash blog. And if you are enjoying my conversation with Michelle Siba, I thought you might also enjoy the essay, Do You Meditate? Uh, It is about my lifelong struggle to meditate and the allergy to mindfulness that went along with that. And let's say you're listening to all this book talk and you're like, Erica, I can't read. I haven't read a book since like I was at my uncle's cottage when I was 14 years old. We all have reading hiatuses, or maybe Michelle Siba doesn't, but a lot of us have reading hiatuses in our adult life. So to break that cycle, take the pressure off, and get you back into the joys of reading, I wrote an essay called How to Start Reading Again. So you can find these essays on my blog at erikajschmidt.com slash blog, and I will link these specific essays in the show notes. And thank you so much for reading. Thank you so much for listening. And let's get back to the show. And what about, do you have a cleaning routine? 
Hmm. Yeah. I I love cleaning on Sundays. Oh. Sunday's my cleaning day. Instead of church. Instead of church. Although, yeah, I do it later in the day. But I there's something I want. I want to start the new week with a clean household. Uh-huh. And yeah, I enjoy it. I heard, I think it was Ruth Ozeki, who's also, she's a Buddhist priest in addition to being a writer. And she uh-huh. was talking about how some somewhere in Brooklyn, some Buddhist temple they uh on on new year's eve they clean they oh. clean the whole temple to yeah. welcome in the new year I always and that clean. that made so much sense to me mm-hmm. so i do that on a very modest scale at home and um yeah and it's just such a kind of predictable cause and effect yeah, that's yeah. really satisfying Tangible, compared yeah. compared with writing yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean there's not a it's not a predictable relationship between effort and outcome, quality mm-hmm. of outcome mm-hmm. when it comes to writing. Whereas with cleaning, it's reassuring in that yeah. way. And you yeah. know, like as things start to get dirty towards the end of the week, you're like, that's okay. Sunday's coming. Exactly. Did you do laundry that day too? Usually. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Total, total cleansing Very of the household. Very soothing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. What about you? Do you have, oh when, my when gosh. do you clean? My whole, I'm obsessed. Well, I, I usually do a zippy clean before people come over. So, but my cleaning routine is, well, it used to be on Fridays and then, well, I used to take Fridays off so that I could clean and then I'd be ready for the weekend. But then mm. I started to do them on company time on Thursdays. So then it would be ready and I could have a three-day weekend. And then I don't have a job now. So then I was doing it on Wednesdays. I don't know why. I had therapy on Wednesdays and I just felt like it was, you know, Mm -hmm. clean everything. And then, I mean, this week I did on Tuesday. But yeah, I mean, as often as possible. Like, Mm. But there is a day a week. So it's like one day cleaning and one day laundry. Mm. Um, And I've tried to like break it up so that it's not the whole thing before. But I just... Like do like two things, like bathroom and kitchen on one day and then the rest of the floors and whatever the next That's day. That's a good idea. It is a good idea, but I find once I start, I have a hard time not mm. going to the end. Hmm. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a bit of a, I just, I, it takes up a lot of my headspace, I have to say, with cleaning because I, everybody knows I used to not be very clean and I'm worried oh, okay. about regressing. <laughs> like huh. I get like, you know, I can only have like not that much stuff because I worry hmm. that I will like not be able to manage it. And so, yeah. Well, this place looks really clean. I, I mean, Michelle Ziba was coming to my house, so <laughs> I pulled out all the stops. Uh, so this is wonderful. Our last question is kind of like your chance to do a spectacular TED Talk in a few minutes. But like, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? More curiosity. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Simple. Oh, and, and maybe because you're an author too, besides your own book, like, do you have a shout out for a book that you would recommend? Mm, yeah. Mm, I'm a big fan of, so it's a bit of a mouthful. He's a Czech writer. Okay. His last name is Hrabal, which is okay. H-R-A-B-A-L. Okay, we can uh, put it uh, in So his first name notes, is, yeah. yeah, Bohumil Hrabal, and he wrote this novel called I Served the King of England. Okay. It's told from the point of view of a kid who starts out as a busboy in a fancy hotel. Uh-huh. Um, this is in the interwar period, and he, it's a really kind of naive but also observant point of view where uh-huh. he's almost anthropologically describing uh-huh. the way the patrons behave, the way his boss treats him. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, he'll go on to achieve a rather conventional success, but also become 
embroiled in the Nazi regime oh, wow. uh, in World War II. So it's it's a book with a lot of like joy and a lot of sadness mm-hmm. and a lot of amazement. Right. Um, so that's my bag. Um, joy, sadness, amazement. Okay. When it comes to literature. I'm also a huge fan of Rachel Cusk's Outline Trilogy. Okay. In in the realm of more recent more recent literature. Okay. And I, I'm still trying to figure out why I find it so mesmerizing because it's mm-hmm. basically just um, the observations of the the narrator and protagonist Faye, who's she's kind of she's basically telling other people's stories. She's kind of a cipher herself. We we learn about her over the course of three novels, mm-hmm. but she's basically relaying to us other people's stories about their lives and then of course meditating on on what they tell her and it's and it's just about things like you know marriage having children mm-hmm. the end of a marriage kind of ordinary bourgeois stuff but so oh, perceptively like rendered yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Rachel yeah. we'll put the book recommendations in the show notes and Middlemarch and Middlemarch oh and you Middlemarch. Like okay yeah that's yeah. not hard to read it's slow at the start. Okay. It's definitely slow going uh-huh. at the start, but it's also really funny if you read it aloud. Okay. I'd recommend reading it aloud. Do you read it to some, like a friend? I was reading it for a period with my my p- partner at the time. Oh, that's and, so romantic. Um, it was, it was, I was surprised. It was maybe my third time uh-huh. with Middlemarch. First two times I read it, I loved it, but I, it, I was not noticing that it's a laugh riot. Okay. Right. <laughs> right? Okay. Middlemarch as a great moral novel and laugh riot. Okay. <laughs> great. Okay. That's a good tip. If you don't, if you have a hard time, cause a lot of people are very tired, not mm-hmm. reading, it won't be the case with your book, but, um, uh, it's okay if it is. I understand. I, no. Um, <laughs> But reading aloud to your partners, and there's no, it's not a race either, too, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. Middlemarch is maybe a project, it's a big book, right? It's a big book. Yeah. We actually broke up midway through Middlemarch. Oh, no. Then <laughs> but did... then I finished reading it on my own, albeit okay. silently. You should have gone on YouTube and read it, too. Everybody could watch Michelle Siva's YouTube channel, Middlemarch. I'm ready for this. Um, okay, good book recommendations. And curiosity. So I think that's all the questions unless you have anything to add. No, this has been fun. Okay. Thanks so so much, Erica. Yeah. Well, we're not quite done because we have a special performance. Uh, Like Michelle Siva has good, uh, good boundaries. I guess she didn't want to sing and I respect that. So she, I forgot to say she was snapping her fingers during the theme song. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to benefit from her rhythmic uh, skills in just one moment. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you on the other side okay everybody we're back so the song that i picked was alleluia alleluia by leonard cohen which i thought was appropriate because of praying did you say you remembered what alleluia means no i just realized i forgot what it means okay (laughs) so but you're not allowed to do alleluia during lent right Lent's that's, Catholic, that's so Catholic. I am unfamiliar with that norm. Okay, yeah, yes, we don't so, do Lent. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, <laughs> yeah. So Lent for people who aren't Catholic, um, they have uh, so you you're not allowed to have chocolate for forty days or sing Hallelujah, and then at the end Christ rises. Okay, that's it. So Leonard Cohen wrote this song, and so we're gonna it's gonna be special because we have. Michelle snapping her fingers, but also, so we're going to do the first verse, and then my dear friend and creative advisor, Sherwin Tijia, has written 
a bonus verse of Alleluia. So then I'm going to sing that. It's going to be just as good as it always is. And then, then it will be over. Um, I hear some radios. That was subtle. I don't know. It wasn't like that loud. Okay, this is wildly embarrassing as usual. You ready with your fingers? Okay. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do ya? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled kings composing, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. <laughs> I forgot I was supposed to change octaves. Okay, now Sherwin's verse. Okay. I'm tired now, my body aches. I've learned to bend and I've learned to break. I have no stamps to get my postcards to you. If you forgot the words, they'll come in song and you'll be there, but I'll be gone. My hands left everything but hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. That was some staffing, Michelle Siva. Thank you so much. This is really fun. Um, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you again, Sherwin Tijia, for that brilliant verse. Amen. Um, don't forget to buy stamps for your postcards. Okay, and that's it. Love you. Bye. See you on the other side. And make sure you buy Michelle's book or enter the giveaway contest, which I will tell you about imminently. Okay. Bye. Alleluia. Um, thank you so much, Michelle, for your tremendous wisdom and insight and snapping. That was just incredible. And also thank you, Michelle, for donating two signed copies of End Times by Michelle Siba uh, for the free contest giveaway. A reminder that you have until Friday, October 20th, 2023 to enter our very first giveaway at This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. So remember, look for the video where I have like curly hair, black and white sort of jacket thing, just singing the praises of Michelle's book. Okay, Instagram, Facebook, get on it. Competition is very steep, but persistence will prevail. Good luck. If you have already read and enjoyed Michelle's book, End Times, it really helps authors if you leave positive and enthusiastic reviews on Goodreads and Amazon. Even though we are definitely proponents of supporting indie bookstores, it does help spread the word if you leave Amazon reviews. Similarly, if you have listened to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life and you had a good time while you were listening, it really helps podcasts if you are able to leave kind and enthusiastic five-star reviews on your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, as always, to my darling big sister, Tess Levitt, who helped me to refine the inspiration for this podcast. Be sure to check out episode nine, The Big Heart Journey with Tess Levitt, and check out all of Tess's beautiful projects like The Big Heart Journey and Splash and Boots. 
Thank you to Sherwin Tijia, my creative and technical advisor and most cherished friend. Follow Sherwin on Facebook at Sherwin's Quirky Events. And finally, thank you so much to my dearly departed aunt, Eileen Gunn, whose surprise and generous gift allowed me to purchase new equipment so I could start a podcast. Okay, I think that's it. So thank you again. It means everything that you are listening. Be kind to yourself. Eat breakfast at a reasonable hour. Do what you need to do. You might even need to meditate. I understand. Okay, and let's do the theme song. All right, ready? This is your strange and beautiful life. Okay, thanks everybody. Love you. Love you, bye.